Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to talk about the church this morning on this anniversary morning. You know, I love this church. Not because I'm the pastor of it, I love that too, but I love this church because it brought salvation to my life and to my home. Uh, My wife got saved after an evening service. Pastor Moore preached in that little room there. Uh, That's now our fellowship room where all the food is laid out today. That was the church room at that point. Uh, She got saved after an evening service. uh, And... um, she brought the gospel into our home. I have, to, I have to admit that I didn't particularly want to get saved, but I did get saved. And I have been very glad ever since. And now my family are saved. And I'm, I'm just excited about the fact uh, that God used the church. The church is God's organization. You know, we can minimize organization in our day and age. And, you know, some organization has failed us. But the church, that's something different. Because that's his. We're going to look at that in a second. I also love it because it's the pillar and ground of the truth. You know... <clears throat> I'm going to make a statement for you, and, that, and you'll have to think about it for yourself. But I don't think I could stay straight doctrinally apart from the church. I'd like to think I could. But you know what? There's the reality of other believers and the preaching and teaching and the encouragement that helps you stay on track doctrinally. And you see, when, truth, when the enemy comes between you and truth, and ge- what he ultimately does is he gives you a slightly skewed picture of God and what happens is that puts between you and God. And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Uh, <clears throat> I also love it, though, and I love it probably most of all because it's his church. I'm going to look at that in a moment, but it's his church. Uh, LifeGate Bible Baptist Church is his church. That's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin uh, to look at our scripture. Very <clears throat> great truth in our scripture this morning. We're going to start uh, <clears throat> at verse 12. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this, your people, and we ask your blessing upon us now. Lord, as we look to your word, we want to thank you for the church, and we want to understand it, Lord, and carry it in our hearts and make it real and important and true in our lives. Now, bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 16 and verse 12. Um, Jesus is, is talking to them about about the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, and they get it all skewed. And he explains to them what he's talking about. Verse 12, then, they understood how they, then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Uh, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, remember, Jesus is the master teacher. And the master teacher is teaching here by questions. He asks them a question. He's not really looking to know what they know, obviously. Uh, What he's doing is he's looking to to, to lead them and to guide them and to see where they're at with all that's going around them. They're walking with the Son of the living God. They are walking with Jesus. Can can you imagine that? They're walking with him. And he's talking to them now, and he's, he's, he's asking them questions and leading them in their thinking so that he can teach them. He has a powerful truth he wants to teach them. He has a truth that this is his first time he's, he's teaching them on this truth. He has a powerful truth that he's going to present to them uh, and begin to build on. And he's asking them some questions, preparing, preparing them for it. He says, Who, whom do men say that I am, I the Son of Man am? 
Um, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist and some Elias and uh, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, <clears throat> let me say this, that all those are less than he is. Do you know that Jesus is such a towering character, such a, an enormous personality that you really can't ignore him? The religions of the world don't try and ignore Jesus. They can't. It's impossible. He's so big. He is so huge uh, on the landscape spiritual. You will have the odd person who will, who will say to you, oh, that's all a fable. That's all just a joke. Uh, somebody made that up and so on. But really they're being pretty ignorant because it's impossible to do. Way too much of history, way too much uh, of our world has been touched and affected uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so everybody has to reckon with him and deal with him. But do you know what the religions of the world do? They make him less than he is. They put him in his place. He's not God. He's a prophet. He's a good man. And really, there's, a, there's, there, 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 there's an element of that that is just impossible. Because Jesus made some amazing statements. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. <clears throat> That's pretty definitive. That's pretty dogmatic. That means, you know what, I'm the only way. You know, uh, he, he said on several occasions, he said he, he, he had the, the Pharisees trying to stone him uh, in John chapter 8 because uh, he, he told them straight out, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what? The Pharisees knew what he was saying. Because I am is the name of God that God gave uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Jesus had just taken that name, so they were going to stone him for it. You see, you can't just take Jesus and minimize him, make him small, fit him in your box, make him uh, one of the prophets, make him one of the gods on the shelves. He just won't fit. You, know, you can't ignore him. You, you, you can't minimize him. He's just way too big a character, way too big a picture on the landscape to do that with, and yet that's exactly what people do. So Jesus asked the disciples, who, who, who do men say that I am? And, and they, they're telling what people are saying to them, but they're all less than Jesus is. Now listen, when somebody gives you a picture of Jesus that makes him less than fully God, they're always doing this. They're always trying to bring him down to size. He won't be brought down to size. I... <clears throat> Verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Big question to these men. Who, who do you say that I am? You've been with me now. You've seen the miracles I've done. You've heard my teaching. You know what I say. Who do you say that I am, guys? Who do you think I am? And, and, and Peter makes a world-stopping Declaration. I mean, it's it's amazing the world didn't kind of stop for a moment, turning on its uh, on its axis uh, with the statement that Peter's just about to make. Right? And the Lord is not going to rebuke him. The Lord is not going to say, "Peter, Peter, Peter, that's that's too much. You're you're being too kind to me, Peter." He's not going to say that. He's going to take it. He's going to take it and he's going to run with it. <clears throat> and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now when he says he's the Christ, he says you're the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one that was promised way back uh, in Genesis chapter 3. You're actually him. 
the one that the scripture speaks about over and over again, you're him. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've waited on. You're the one that Israel's history is connected to. You are him. But then he says, you're the son of the living God. Now, what he's saying, talking about there, is he's talking about Jesus' deity. Peter recognized. He was looking at God having taken on human flesh. He wasn't less than this. He wasn't less than God. He was God. I like this definition um, that, that speaks of Jesus. It says this, that Jesus is fully God. So that all that can be said about God can be said about Jesus and to the same extent. Jesus is not a lesser God. Jesus didn't become God when he came to earth. Jesus didn't begin when he came to earth. He always was God. The miracle is not that a man was born and became God. The miracle is that God came down and was born in human flesh and came to save us and to show us God. And that's what we have in Jesus. Fully God and fully man. And that's what Jesus, what Peter is saying. And you know, Peter's wonderful, isn't he? I mean, Peter's so out there. You know, he, 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 he puts it out there, right or wrong. You're not wondering for long what Peter's thinking about. But he lays it out there. <clears throat> Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Not some lesser deity, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And <clears throat> note that Jesus, Jesus never shies away from it. You know, other characters have shied away from, from worship. Paul wasn't going to let them worship him because I'm just a man. Peter wasn't going to let them worship him because he was just a man. But you know what? Jesus never shies away from it. Because it was fully his. He was God. Come in human flesh. Veiled in flesh. The Godhead see, our Christmas carol says, isn't it? That's, that's, that's who he was. He was fully God. But look what Jesus says to him. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Simon Peter, you are blessed. You are a happy man. You have the smile of God on your life. Because you know what, Peter? Nobody told you this. My Father has revealed this to you in your heart, hasn't he? My Heavenly Father has spoken this into your heart. And that's just what had happened. And do you know the truth is that we only ever come to see Jesus for who he is? When God speaks it into our hearts. When God shows it to us. When we talk about salvation, we always talk about the manward side, about deciding to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And, and you know, that's, that's very valid. But do you know there's another part of it? It's when God reveals to you who Jesus is. It's when the Spirit of God shows you who he really is. And you bow before him because he's God. Salvation is not 
Fire insurance, salvation is a relationship with the living God. And <clears throat> it is a wonderful thing. Now, <clears throat> and, and Jesus now is going to make the, uh, is going to begin uh, this saying. Now, <clears throat> and we need to ask ourselves a question this morning. What is the church? Jesus is going to talk about the church now. Uh, <clears throat> Verse 18, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's our text for this morning. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the church? If it was a Wednesday night, I'd actually go around the room and ask. It's a Sunday morning, so we won't do that. Um, but the word is ecclesia in the Greek, and it means a called-out assembly. Now, if I talk to the people in Tala about LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, they will tell me, oh yeah, I know where that is. That's, that's near the Bank of Ireland there, isn't it? And they look at this building and they, they say, yeah, that's the church. And oftentimes we refer to it as though the building is the church. But do you know that the building is not the church? That the building is not the church. That you, you didn't come to the church this morning. Because the building is not a church. Now, nor is the church a denomination. We are part of the Baptist church, the Baptist denomination. It's not a denomination. That's not what it is. Um, uh, and, and no other church can claim to be the church uh, as a denomination, because just not, that's just not true. Now, I'm going to make a statement there, and I'm going to have to explain it to you. Uh, it's not currently a universal body. Okay, when, the, when we talk about the church, um, very often people talk about this kind of global entity that reaches across the world. Now, I believe that there are several passages in Scripture that do talk about this global entity, but the word church means a called-out assembly. You can't have a global entity that's never actually met be a church. I think what's going to happen is, uh, we talked in Men's Sunday School this morning about the rapture and about the church being called out. I think we're going to have the church meet for the first time uh, in that time. But what the church is talking about, what Jesus is talking about when he talks, uh, when we're dealing with the church, what we're talking about for the most part is we're talking about churches like us. People that are coming together all over this country, all over the world today on the Lord's Day. That's what the church is. It's, it's a group of people that come together. It's a people that are, that are called out, that, 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 that come together. And what do we come together for? Well, we come together around the confession that Peter has just made, don't we? <clears throat> Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't that who we are? The people who recognize that this Jesus is fully God. Now, there's more to it. There's more to it that we do as a church, but that's what, that's what, what we are. We are a people who recognize that this Jesus was both Messiah and Son of God. That's who we are. And then we meet together. <clears throat> we meet together for worship. We come and we worship our God. Uh, we come together, and uh, we come together for the purpose of, uh, of teaching and doctrine, understanding who our God is. 
we, we come together as for evangelism. Don't we, we want to reach people. We want to tell other people who this Jesus is. And we come together for fellowship. And by the way, sometimes we, we, we can minimize fellowship. I think sometimes in the past we've done that. We've minimized fellowship a little bit. Fellowship is pretty important in the life of the church. You know, in Acts 2.42, it talks about um, uh, the church coming together regularly for fellowship. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but we're to come together. Why? To exhort one another and to encourage one another as you see the day approaching. And you know, the reality is that this assembly, this group of people that meets together here, uh, we're not just getting church. We're not just going to church. We're not just part of the church that's a building. We are the church. We are his people. We are called out. We are a group that God has called out, and he's called us out for a purpose, for his purpose. But we're a called out assembly. We're, we're a called out body. We're, we are a people uh, that come together right, in his name and to worship him. Now, he says some other things about it here. Uh, he says, it's my church. Right? Uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, we, we kind of say, well, it's my church, and it's your church, and, you know. But in the idea of ownership, it's not your church or my church, it's his church. That's really important to us. <clears throat> you think for a second, how many things did Jesus say were his? He never owned a car, he never owned a house, he never had a wife, he never had a baby, he never, he had a robe, he had a robe somebody gave him, and it was too valuable to, uh, to, to, to cut up, so they decided they would draw lots for it at the end. But, but apart from that, what did he have? He didn't use the personal pronoun because, you know, he didn't have stuff that was his. <clears throat> he was passing through, but he had one thing, and he said, I will build. And he said, I will build my church. His church. Now, here's what that means to me. That means to me that this is very important to Jesus. This is important to him. It's important to him. It's important to him that we gather together. It's important to him that we see the picture here as being bigger than just, well, I'm coming to get my fix on a Christian one. I'm a Christian. I need to come get my fix. I need to come and, uh, come and get encouraged. I need to come and meet with some people. I need... No, no, no. What we're dealing with here is we're dealing with his church. You know, Pastor Zemeski came from America. Uh, <clears throat> I suppose he came in the 70s. And um, <clears throat> God used him to start a church. And, you know, we could legitimately say, well, Pastor Zemeski started a church. But that's not really all the truth. All the truth is that God wanted a church started here. And so he called a man and sent a man to do the work. Because... Jesus wanted something to happen. Jesus wanted a church to be, uh, to, to begin here. Because Jesus, the living God, had a plan for LifeGate. Isn't that kind of amazing? That kind of give you goosebumps if you think about it for long enough. That God actually planned this. That God planned this. That God knew 
how many lives will be touched by it, that, that, that he had a plan. And you see, here's the way God works. I mean, we're kind of stuck in this little bit of time, and um, we don't understand. I saw, saw actually a video uh, that talked about God creating time, and I thought, that's amazing. Here we are. Time is so important to us, but God just actually created it. I mean, I don't want to be uh, silly about it, but he kind of made it up because it suited his purpose at the time. Because time doesn't exist for him. He's not stuck yesterday, today, uh, and tomorrow. He's God. He, he passes uh, between all those, th- all those things. But in this plan that God had for time, there was a certain time when a church, LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, would be started. And in LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, he had a plan that people would get reached, people would get saved. He could see you. He could see the impact the church would have on your life. And he planned for it. Isn't it? Doesn't that give you goosebumps? Now, you say, when did he plan all this? Before he planned time. Before the beginning of time. God planned to reach us. We must be pretty important to him. I've never been able to work out why. But we must be pretty important to him. You say, not me, I'm just... Yeah, that might be true, humanly speaking. But very obviously, God looked down and God said, you know what? I love you. And I want you. And... Obviously, this church is not just about you and it's not just about me. It's about a much bigger picture. But there's a certain sense in which it's about you. That God intended to reach you or to have an impact on your life through this church because that's what he does. He reaches people and has an impact on their lives. So it's his church. It's special to him. It ought to be special to us too. We ought to make it special. You know what? If for no other reason than the fact that it's special to him, it ought to be special to us. He said it's his church. Uh, Secondly, he said, I will build. I'm the pastor of this church, and I so love this verse for this reason. He said, I will build. Now, I came from college 25 years ago, and I thought, I am going to take the church and bring it on and lots of people are going to get saved and great things are going to get happen. And I, just, I was dreaming. I, was, I had vision. I had plans. I had all those things. And I spent six years or seven years and I realized this is not going very well. Now, we'd added a few people, but it was slow and it was hard and it was uh, two steps forward and <clears throat> one steps back. You know, it was difficult. And then in the year 2000, at a camp in Avoca, County Wicklow, God stepped in and he changed everything. He changed everything. He did a work. The work the church doubled in size and then it tripled in size. And you know what? God was building his church. I, I wish I'd really understood this before then. I should have understood it wasn't my job because, you know what, I was under an awful burden thinking it was my job. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to make it happen. I was getting really discouraged. I think a lot of men get discouraged in their churches, you know, because it's not going very well. And they're not, they're, like, listen, it was never intended that a man should build a church. 
Jesus says, I will build my church. The best I can ever hope to do, or you can ever hope to do, uh, is to cooperate with him. That's the best we can ever do. And when we cooperate with him, it's amazing what he does, isn't it? When we stop trying to do it in our own power and in our own strength, then we say, okay, Lord, uh, what do you want to do? It's amazing what he does. It's amazing how he can save souls. It's amazing how he can do the work because he says, I will build my church. I'm going to build it. Do you know, I don't think God's done building yet. As far as LifeGate Bible Baptist Church is concerned, as far as the churches around this country is concerned, I don't think God's done building. I think God's got plans. I think he's got big plans from the beginning of time. I see around me a multitude of people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and in all honesty are as far away from him as they could possibly be. And I look at them and I think he died for them too. He paid the price for their sins too. Now I'm responsible for being a witness, but you know, even my best witness very often falls on deaf ears. I'm sure you've felt that. But you know what? He's building his church. And I look around me, it's not done yet. I don't know where we're going to fit them all, but that's not my problem. But I think he's got a plan. Nearly 8 billion people in our world, nearly 8 billion people in our world, most of them don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Somebody told me recently that of the population of Ireland, there's less than 1%, the Republic, there's less than 1% that are saved. Now, I don't know how you'd work that out. I don't know how you'd actually figure that out, how you'd find out who was genuinely born again and not. But it's not far off being wrong. Being, <clears throat> it's not far off uh, the, the, the mark. You know what? There's a huge need in our land for souls to get saved. I can't do it. You can't do it, but I know somebody who can. And I want to be involved with them. I want to be involved with them in this thing of building his church. I want, I want to be his hands. I want to be his voice. I want to be whatever I can be in this thing because it's the most exciting thing that's going on anywhere. The fact that he's building his church. You think about it. What in your life could be more exciting than touching souls for eternity. You can say, well, I'll be a doctor and I'll save people's lives. Okay, that's great. Maybe you save a thousand people's lives, but if they all die in their sin and go to hell, you know what? It's a small victory. I don't want to minimize what anybody's doing, but you know what? When a soul gets saved, it's for eternity. And you know what? It's amazing. It's a rare soul that gets saved and doesn't touch somebody else. I want to be a part of what God is doing. He says, I will build my church. I want you to see the next part. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of a a phrase that we we can take many ways. Typically, what we kind of feel is that, you know, that, that, that hell is never going to overrun the church. But that's not what it's saying. The gates of hell, they're not the gates of hell. They're not the gates of the church. Right? It doesn't say, and hell shall never overrun the gates of the church. It says, the church will overrun the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevent it, will not pr- pr- protect it. 
You see, here's where, here's where we live. We, we live in a world that's um, <clears throat> wicked and that's gone astray and that's going astray. It's very easy for us to come to the place where we think, well, you know, well, let's just hang in here, keep the gates closed, uh, keep the enemy out, and we'll, <clears throat> we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll stay safe till the end. But that's not what the church is about. The church is actually an army. The church is the mightiest army on the planet. Because the church is able to storm the gates of hell and bring people out from Satan's kingdom. And by the way, you need to understand that picture. When, when Paul got saved, God gave him a commission. And his commission was to turn people from the power, the authority of Satan, unto the power of God. To pluck them from Satan's kingdom and power and to place them in the Father's kingdom and power. And we hear an awful lot of negative talk at the moment about, you know, how badly the church is doing. And, you know, listen, the church has its problems and has its issues. And sometimes we can think, well, you know what? Uh, if it's true that we're supposed to be able to storm the gates of hell, uh, and we're supposed to, the gates won't prevail against us, and we're supposed to win, then it doesn't look very much like that. Hang on just a moment, though. You're here. Where did you used to be? You used to be on the other side of those gates, didn't you? We all did, didn't we? But look, we're here. We're here. You know what? This thing is, the plan is working. The plan is working. You know what? The church is able to storm the gates of hell and see souls saved. Now look, I, I want, like you do, I want, <clears throat> I want a much greater work than, than we're seeing. I want, I, I want to see God do great things. I want to see God save multitudes. But you know what? It's working. You know, Satan wasn't happy the day you got saved. You, you were stolen from his kingdom. That's what happened. The Lord Jesus, through the church, stormed the gates of hell and drew you to himself, and you were stolen from his kingdom. <clears throat> Listen, hell will never prevail. We have the power to go in there and to take them out. Now you look at people and you say, Pastor, they don't want it. How many of you before you were saved genuinely wanted salvation? I'm not saying you didn't want something. But you wanted salvation. You wanted to know you were a sinner saved by grace and you wanted to give your life to him uh, and be saved. How many of you, up your hands, you, you really wanted to be saved before you were saved? Hugh Daly, you did not. You ran from it. I know your story. <laughs> you ran from it. <laughs> uh, now, look, the reality is that we wanted something. Not this. I didn't want this. I had a whole different plan. I didn't want this. You know what? But God stepped in. And the gospel got switched on like a light bulb. And I, I wanted it. And you know, here's what, here's what we, we tend to think. We tend to think that, that was the good old days. No, the good old days have never been. That's the reality of the gospel. Do you know that God still wants to save people? And he, and he, and he wants you partnering with him in doing it. He doesn't want you doing it. You're not able to do it. He wants you to understand you can't save anybody. Right? <clears throat> you know, you can get your best plan going. You can get your best sales pitch 
you can go and it'll fall on dead ears. Now, God wants to save people and he wants you to work with them. He wants you to get involved. He wants you to be his hands. Lord, lead me and guide me. Great prayer to pray every day would be, Lord, would you lead me to somebody that I can speak to about you today? Because he's doing a work and the gates of hell can't hold him back. He's got people he wants to reach. He wants people to get involved with him. He wants you to. Um, <clears throat> it's fight and talk. He wants you to sign up in the army and go to war with him and storm down those gates and those people that you think can't be saved. You know what? You start praying about them. You get active. You start praying about them and you'll be amazed at what God will do. Hugh Daly said, I gave a testament that his wife uh, <clears throat> has seen all her sisters saved. Isn't that amazing? God can do that though. You've got family you want saved. God's able to save them. You know, listen, if we would partnership with them and get involved and cry out to God, you know, we'd be amazed what he would do. Final point. <clears throat> upon this rock, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the rock. What's the rock? This is, this, this is the one we get, we get fouled up on. Now, do you know why we get fouled up on this part of the verse? We get fouled up on this part of the verse because we've been told what the rock is. And we're very susceptible. We're very susceptible to actually, when we're told something, we buy into it and we say, okay, the rock is the Pope. No, that's not what it says. Like, that's not what it's saying, right? Uh, and I say, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, if that were true, then what we could say is that, okay, well, Jesus made Peter the Pope here, and Peter knew it. But let, let me read you what Peter wrote himself later on in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders uh, disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the rock the church is built on. And Peter knew it. Peter, Peter had no illusions. If you, if you were to walk down one of the streets in Jerusalem and say to, say to Peter, okay, so Peter, you're the head of the church. You're the Pope. He would have said, what? He knew better. So what's Jesus talking about? <clears throat> There's two things that you could make, make it out to be, right? <clears throat> one is... Uh, <clears throat> Jesus himself, which is what it was. And the other is the confession Peter has just made. And I think the two are actually linked together. That the confession that Peter has made is, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the rock the church is built on. And you know what? We are a people who have declared, yeah, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the rock it all is based upon. Jesus is building his church on the rock of himself. And you get to be involved in it. You get to be part of it. See, we are a called out assembly of people who have confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we're meeting together for worship, for evangelization, for fellowship, 
for a whole bunch of other things too. <clears throat> but you know what? He's coming back for us, his church. And in the day he comes back for us, we're going to be his bride. Now, that's a whole different thing, isn't that? That's a thought that doesn't sit well with the guys, you know, you kind of think. But uh, here's the reality. The reality is that marriage is a picture of the church in Jesus Christ, not the other way around. You know what? He wants you to know that you're his. That he had and has a plan for you. That he's watching over you. That part of his plan is this church and its ministry in your life. And that he's coming back for you. It's pretty exciting stuff being a Christian. It's pretty amazing stuff being a believer. God's got a great plan. God's got a great work going on and a great work that he plans for our lives. And the church is part of it. Church is not a building. It's not a denomination. The church is us. Ministering to each other. Living and working and encouraging and blessing. And you know what? As much as sometimes we think it's lame, it's not a bit lame at all. It's the plan of the ages, and it's working just fine. And God's got great things for this little church. Bigger than you and I. You know what? <clears throat> we'll die. One day they'll roll us out of here. Uh, if, if, if the rapture doesn't happen before, before that, one day they'll roll us out of here. But you know what? The church will go on. Because God has a plan. God has a great plan. The church is his plan. And one day, we'll meet in that great church when all the churches come together in heaven. And we will glorify his name. But you know what? Right now, I thank God for this church. I thank God for its impact on my life. I thank God for its impact on your life. And I thank God for all the lives that it's going to impact in the future. Let's keep that in mind. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the fact that in eternity past, Lord, you decided that there would be a church that would meet here. Lord, we thank you that there's a whole troop of people, Lord, that have been through our doors and trusted you as their Savior and gone on their way. And Lord, some of them <clears throat> we may never meet until we meet again until we're in eternity. And some of them, Lord, you'll bring across our paths again. But Lord, we thank you for them. Thank you for every one of them. Lord, I thank you for these people that are gathered here this morning, Lord, for your hand upon them and for your touching our lives and for, uh, Lord, <clears throat> what you've done uh, in us and what you're doing through us. And, oh, Lord, I thank you for those that will be saved. Lord, for the way you will build your church and for the souls that will be here and for the way it will grow. Lord, I don't know where we're going to put them all, but, Lord, I know you do. And we're going to trust you for that, too. Uh, Lord, would you bless us? Would you give us a big vision because you're a big God? And your church is a big organization. Would you give us a big vision, Lord, and help us to realize what a great thing it is to be part of it. Would you bless us now this morning in Jesus' name.